thing. Um, I'm just trying to get everybody in. everybody's attention. Well, um, welcome to the Church of No Name. <laughs> yeah! And I'm sure that Vince and Kenny and Zach, the more creative people among our leadership team, will be working on that, right? <clears throat> we have a committee, a name committee, I think, or they're putting one together. So anyway, my name is Tom. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, I drew the short straw of, that, of getting to, to preach today, the first day that we're combined. So, and, I, and I would say I'm not a preacher, so I don't really, you know, if you guys are expecting like uh, a Vince or a Kenny or a Zach, that's not me. But I do think that God has um, been faithful to give, I think, give me um, something to say to you today. Um, to, first of all, I'm really excited. This is our first gathering together as one, one church. It's kind of like when I got married, my wife and I started our lives together the first time in our own apartment. We had this 400 square foot apartment. And it was like, wow, this is our life now. I kind of feel a little bit, not not even near what I felt with my wife, but I get the sense of just a marriage and coming together and joining lives, and so I'm excited about that, and I want to just invite, you know, Zach and Vince and Kenny and I, we've been talking about kind of how we want to start this life together, and I think um, I'd like you guys to turn with me really quickly to Philippians Chapter 2. If you've got an app, you can use your app. Or in your Bibles, in the New Testament, just after Ephesians. Chapter 2, this, this, it's subtitled on my app. It says, Christ's Example of Humility. So think of this. As we read this verse, I want you to think about we're starting a life together as two churches being united, kind of a marriage of, of two churches. And the idea that we really want to be unified. And what it takes to be unified is really best lived out by Jesus. So we're going to look at what Paul says about Jesus. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now this is really where it gets into the meat of it. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, the things I heard there as we think about, hey, we're combining and becoming one body. The things I heard is do nothing from selfish ambition. Or out of conceit. But, but have humility and count others more significant than, than yourselves. Um, I remember when my wife and I were married, were first married, I had, um, I was actually, I am actually, a morning person. I wake up and I'm like, alright, good to go, happy. And everybody is supposed to be like that, right? <laughs> it didn't take long for me to figure out that my wife is not a morning person. I was really joyous and happy and She's, she needs a little space and time in the morning. 
But what it was cool is I learned to appreciate that about her over several arguments. <laughs> With lots of grace and lots of love, we eventually kind of got that understanding. And we, we now live in that groove of, hey, I'm a morning person, she's, a, she's not. She, at night, she's wide awake and can you know, party like a rock star, and I'm tired and ready for bed. <laughs> so, without divulging too much, but the point in saying that is, as we join together, our heart is that we would have a lot of grace for each other. Yeah. That we would be willing to just learn each other's stories and learn how each other ticks. I think, um, you know, as elders, we, we kind of, we want to, and I speak for the other elders in this, we want to invite you to just call us out. We're men who are, we're being daily sanctified by God. He's revealing sin in our hearts and we have to repent and confess. So we just want to invite all of you to, to speak into our lives. We're going to offend you, I'm sure. You're maybe not used to the way someone talks or deals with you. So we want to invite you guys to just speak into our lives. Um, as The other thing is, as a congregation that just got together, we want to start kind of a series. It's the holidays, right? We're going into Christmas. Just finished Thanksgiving. And we want to start by talking about generosity. We're talking about giving and blessing. And it's really the idea that, that God so loved the world that He gave. And so as this combined body of Christ, these two churches come together, and we've got to put a line in the sand, I'm sure, where we stop saying two churches come together. But today might be that line. <clears throat> but really taking a look at how God loved, so He gave. He gave because Jesus is God's generosity on display. He became poor for love's sake. He suffered what we should have suffered. He gave generously of every area of his life, even unto death. And so our theme for the next five weeks in December is, He gave, so we give. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And we think it's important because... It's, it is that season of time where, you know, where we give and we, we demonstrate a generosity to family and friends. And even there's kind of a special, even culture around us, society around us looks at this season as even a time to reach out to the, to the people we don't know, who aren't family, who are poor. It's, um, we want to set a tone for this body, for this family. It's a tone of generosity and blessing and serving one another. Um, it's kind of key, the timeliness of this. We can, we can kind of get in the rhythms of this is mine, ours, this is what we had before this. How many people have, a, have, have heard of marriage where two people come together and get married and they have separate bank accounts and separate lives and they don't fully merge that stuff? And if you do... I'm not knocking you, but I know when, when my wife and I came together, it was really helpful to kind of say, inventory, here's all the stuff that we have, and it's all ours. Yeah. So, there's going to be a struggle, I'm sure, at times to, to count. We've got 10, they have 12. <laughs> uh, and and the, the other thing is, we have more people, so I don't really have to do anything now. You know, I don't have to serve. We got uh, Kenny. <laughs> and Nick. And Kenny. Those guys will serve. I don't, I don't need to. I can, just, I can just consume. So, and then we have this, this kind of mentality, like, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see how it goes. So as we, as we come into this time, we want to know, God, have you changed my heart so drastically by the gospel that, 
these aren't issues that I'm going to be able to, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, I'm going to be able to live life preferring others over myself. Like that, that verse in Philippians. So, um, as we go into a season of generosity and talk about it, there's really, Jesus kind of talks about this in, in, in many of his parables. Specifically, there's a, par- there's a parable in Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. He talks about a kind of a, a manager of a, of a rich man's estate. And it's in this, this parable that Jesus kind of hits on five capitals. And we're not actually going through Luke chapter 16, 1 through 9. I'm just pointing to it to say there's some capitals. Some capitals meaning like a financial capital that you use to grow your business or that kind of capital. And so as we look at what Jesus is teaching in these verses, we see a spiritual capital. You know, how much faith do you have to invest? We see relational capital. How much relational equity do you have to invest? We see a physical capital. How much time and energy do you have to invest? We see an intellectual capital. What are your skill sets and competencies? Um, what, What do you have to offer in terms of intellectual to invest? And then we see this financial capital. To literally money, your finances. And Jesus deals with these things. And really the idea is that spiritual capital is the most important. It's the thing that Jesus says, everything else should point to. Everything else should, should go after. Every investment we make should really be to grow a spiritual capital because it's it's eternal. And they're kind of great ways that we can use to talk and think about our lives. And that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. And they're listed in that order that I gave you, kind of most important to least important. Spiritual capital being the most important. Financial capital being the least important. And it points to... Jesus points really to two realities as he teaches through these parables. Um, First of all, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, every single capital you have has to be pointed towards that. Towards that end. Everything has to be surrendered over to becoming and being Christ's disciple. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. And the other thing is that when you want to increase the capitals that you have, you need to point the other four at the one that you want to increase. And Jesus wants us, and He commands His disciples and everybody that He teaches, to live towards that end. To live towards the end that your spiritual capital is the most important thing. We're going to talk more about that. Um, so today, we're going to start with the least important one, financial capital. And we're going to go through that together. Um, as we do, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be going through some scripture there. But before we do, let, let's just pray together. <clears throat> so Father, I just thank you for um, giving us the truth through Jesus and through his life. And so we can look at Jesus and say, well, that's what it looks like. That's our example. And that there's no better example. There's no better teacher. There's no better um, wisdom than to look at Jesus who came in the flesh, lived life, and demonstrated to us what it would look like to be one of, your, one of your children. So we thank you for that. We, we pray that you would open our hearts and ears and minds and eyes to see just the truth about what Jesus says about money and finances. I think there's a lot of people here today, Lord, that 
kind of cringed. I say, wow, he's talking about money and finances. But I pray, God, that you would help us see money and finances as, as just another thing that you own, that you've given to us to manage and, and steward. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us where we've we've actually sinned in, in terms of managing what the finances and the money that you've given us. And that you that we would remember that you're faithful to forgive. And so lead us today in what you want us to hear and see, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing truth that Jesus is giving us in this passage of Scripture. And I want to point out a few things from the passage. It might help us as as disciples on how to manage this financial capital. First of all, God owns everything. It's all His. Amen? Amen. Everything is God's, and nothing is going to change that. In, in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Deuteronomy 10, chapter 14 says, Behold, To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens, the earth and with all that is in it. So everything belongs to God, it's His. Nothing's going to change that. Amen? Amen. That's kind of the, that's our baseline. Our baseline is everything is God's. Everything. Kenny's shoes, Vince's hat, the money in our pockets, our credit cards, it's all, everything is God's. And it's kind of ridiculous that we actually try to store up stuff for our own treasures. I mean, Jesus is hitting on these. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He's saying, you guys are storing up stuff that's not even yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's God's and nothing's going to change that. So... We have some friends that are, they've adopted people, adopted children, and and they're adoption people. I think Zach and Natasha fit in that category. We've been adopted, so we can relate, right? But I remember them telling us a story one time. They brought their adopted son home. And, And the son, they would give him like an apple or a banana, and he'd kind of go in the other room, and then he'd come back without it. And pretty soon they found that he'd been taking things they'd give him and putting them, hiding them away. He'd been storing it up. He didn't believe that he was truly part of the family. He didn't understand what it meant to be, to, 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 that, that the bananas and the oranges and the, and the food that they, were, that they were giving him were really his, that they were... That he didn't have to go store them up and hide them. And it's similar in this way. Jesus is saying, it's all dad's stuff. It's dad's stuff. Don't store it up for yourself. 
there's a there's a movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called Trading Places. It's Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> you ever seen that? Yeah. So this movie, it's crazy. They, so these really rich Wall Street guys, they they make a bet. And Dan Aykroyd's like this really prominent trader on Wall Street. Eddie Murphy's a bum on the street, homeless guy. And so these rich guys say, okay, we're going to bet. This guy, this Dan Aykroyd guy, I forget, Mortimer, no, what was his name? I can't remember his name. In the movie. Mortimer was one of the old guys, yeah. but I can't remember. Anyway, they bet that they could trade places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. They could bring this homeless guy off the street and, and give him the same kind of silver spoon as, they, as Dan Aykroyd had. And he would end up being just as successful. Well, there's a scene in the movie where they bring him in and they give him a ride in this like, awesome Rolls Royce limo and it's leather and he's like kind of looking around and they, they bring him into this Manhattan house, this townhouse and it's just lavish as could be. I mean, it's like a billionaire's mansion. And they tell Eddie Murphy, they're like, this is all yours. It's yours. It's your home. And Eddie Murphy's going, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, sure it is. And he's putting stuff in his pocket, and he's grabbing stuff, and stuff in his... <laughs> and it's a picture of what Jesus is talking to us about here. It's just, a, just an illustration. That, that it's all already ours, in a sense, because it's Dad's. But we try to do, we try to take it and store it up and hide it and, and save it. It's kind of silly. It's really silly. The second the Jesus thing is Jesus trying to say here is that it's not going to last. He talks about moths and rust. What do moths do? How many of you have moths at home? What do they do, Hannah? They get in the food and eat it. They, they chew right through the plastic. And then they lay eggs. And there's little worms and it eats and it, and it goes bad. Or we just cook it, we boil it, and then it's protein. <laughs> they get in your clothing, right? They get on your clothing and they, they just start eating holes in your clothing. And rust, what does rust do? Gideon, what does it do? It just, yeah, it eats away at the metal and it, and it, and it destroys, right? What do, what do thieves steal? Do thieves come in and take your dirty laundry? No. Or your trash? No. What do they take, Roman? Um, they take like your money and stuff that are like really precious to you. That's right. That's from the mouth of faith, right? <laughs> that's right. And Jesus is talking about this stuff. He says, don't store this stuff up there. It's, gonna, it's not going to last. It, the moths destroy the food and the clothing. And the rust destroys your metal, your, your, the metal things that are valuable, your swords. I, I imagine at the time, they probably used a lot of swords and metal tools and stuff. So, kind of appropriate. And thieves come in and take away your gold and your money and your precious things, that, that Romans said. And Jesus is telling the things you try to store up, they're not going to last. They don't last. I got a question for you. If you think that it was important, if you think that gold was really important and all the things were important, what would the gospel look like? What would the story of Jesus look like if, if that was truly important? If money was important, if gold, possessions, houses, castles, kingdoms, physical stuff, what would it look like? Just give me a... Meaningless. would have a meaning. But what would what would the story go like? Instead of God came in the flesh, took on the penalty for our sin, and died on the cross, what would what would Jesus have come? He'd come. He'd be a CEO of the biggest billion, multi-billion, trillion-dollar company on the earth. What else, Marco? He went up on the mountain to meet uh, Satan and survey all the kingdoms of the world. He and uh, in return to worship Satan, he would have said yes. Yeah, he would have said, sweet man, I'm, I'm there. I'm the CEO, I'm the president, 
I own all this stuff. And it's so important. Now the whole world can see what I own. Jesus is saying the opposite of that. He's saying it's, it's not important. It doesn't last. It's vulnerable to destruction and ruin. There's a song I listened to. A little band you all might know. It's a Dave Matthews band. And he sings this song. It's called Seek Up. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics he says. He says, Oh, look at me in my fancy car, my bank account. Oh, how I wish I could take it all down to my grave. God knows I'd save and save. Man, take a look again. Take a look again. Things you have collected. Well, in the end, it all piles up to one big nothing at all. Even, even the People who don't know God or who don't pro- proclaim to be Christians know it's just worthless. It's just stuff. It piles up to nothing. You can't take it. You can't save up and store it in your grave. We've already found that out, right? We've, many many archaeologists have dug up many tombs and found many riches and, and gold. And, and it doesn't go anywhere. There's just a dead mummy. And a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and it, like you said, it's, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. It's just stuff. The third thing we see is that what we see as valuable reveals the condition of our heart. And what we look to for satisfaction informs the condition of our heart. Where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says. So what's valuable to us? Jesus says, tells of a or in Luke, he tells of a man, a rich ruler who came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, good teacher, I have followed all the commandments. I haven't broken any of them. What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus says, Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then follow me. And it says the man went away. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. It says the man went away and he became very sad because he was very rich. And you get a picture of this this guy who saw value in what he owned and the money he had. And the condition of his heart was exposed by Jesus when he told him, when he kind of went after what was valuable. The question I have for us is, what is it that if it were taken away today, would make us very sad? What are the things that we have, that we've placed value in? What have we, where is our treasure, is the question Jesus is asking. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How we... Uh, steward our finances, particularly our money, is really an indication of what's truly valuable. Our decisions we make with our money reveal what our priorities are. It reveals the condition of our heart. There's a, a, an actor, Jim Carrey, you guys know him. He made this statement. He said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and, and have everything they ever dreamed of so they, they will know that it's not the answer. Where do we put our value? Where is our treasure? I think the, the better question is, where is your heart? What's your heart set on? What's the condition of your heart? And that's what Jesus is after in this whole passage. He's after condition of your heart. 
The fourth thing he talks about is what we look for and allow into our, our minds, our eyes, our thoughts, whatever we're looking at or looking after, trying to see. The eyes are a window to the soul is what a Jewish custom says. Uh, what you allow into your mind and through, through what you see, what you go after with your eyes, determines who you are and what you're made of. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. I think this is what I'm guilty of. I don't know about you guys, but I see stuff that I like. I watch things that I think are going to be satisfying on TV. I watch shows. And I'm not saying like X-rated stuff. I'm just saying normal, <laughs> everyday. <laughs> Sorry. Normal, everyday stuff that I watch. And if I'm not careful, what I, be, what I watch begins to influence who I am. It really does. It really has an impact. What you look after, what you see with your eyes, and what you put your put in front of yourself has an impact into who you are. And I think that's why so many people in America, including me, have this issue with money. The wealthiest country in the nation, or in the in the in the globe, or one of the wealthiest countries in the globe. And we, we've been sold this bill of goods called the American dream. And, and our media enforces it and informs it. The shows we watch, the news, what's important. How many people have watched the news lately? What's, what's the most important thing, Vince? Pretty much. <laughs> of our news. Like uh, network television news, like CNN, NBC. Stocks, politics, and Lindsay Lohan. Right? Or some other Hollywood star. And we get this constant message that this is important, money is important, money is important, money is important, money is important, and money is important. And if you don't know what's important, money is important. Yeah. generation to generation Amen. after us, we were raised to believe that this is how you become successful. The definition of success Amen. is not what we believe right here, right now in this room. But all around, people who are not close to Christ, who don't have a better understanding of the Lord, we are taught in school, this is how you will succeed. You yeah. need to do this to get to that. You'll get your degree and you will make this kind of money and you will have a 401k. So people identify with that and they were surrounded, like you said, by the commercials and the advertising of this is what's good. This makes you a stand-up person in society. That blocks the way for many people, young people especially, yeah. to get that message that we own nothing and that it's not time that's, that's You're right on. It's, it's you know, most segue into into what I was going to say next was um, no no it's good it's awesome um, it's it's in the movies we watch it's in the media it's in our schools it's in our universities what's important is your success the money you make I have three daughters and people always ask me well, don't you want your daughters to go to a great college well, sure I do love for them to go to a great college. But my first prayer for them is that they would grow up to be women after God's heart. That they would marry husbands who love God. And they would be their husband's helpers first. Now I do believe in education and I believe in giving my girls a good education and, and trying to save up and send them to college. But my hope is not in their success financially or career-wise. My hope is in their relationship with Jesus. 
You notice in this passage in Hebrew, Paul doesn't say, keep your life free from the from money. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. So we, money is not bad. It's a gift from God. Money can be used for awesome things. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon says. He says, I found a text once which said the love of money is the root of all evil. But as for money itself, I can see very little evil in it. If a man will but rightly use it, I can see that it is a talent sent from heaven, bestowed by God for holy purposes. And I'm quite sure that God's talents are not bad ones. So we see this, this idea of the love of money being the root of many evils. The final thing I think that Jesus is touching on kind of sums up everything else. And he says, you cannot serve God and money. It doesn't say you can't serve God and money equally. It doesn't say you can sort of serve both halfway. It says you can't serve God and money. There's no compromise. He says you'll love the one and hate the other. Or you'll despise the one and love the other. It's, it's kind of a... It's one of those things that money is, is the tragedy of is that we never have enough. And soon it kind of possesses us instead of us possessing it and using it and stewarding it. The more we have, the more worried we are about it and how to keep it. So, we get consumed with protecting it, if we have it, or going after it if we don't. It's, it's ridiculous, it's silly. There's a story of a guy named Ebenezer Scrooge. Have you heard of him? In the story, this, these spirits came, and they showed Scrooge his greed. Christmas present, Christmas past, and Christmas future. And he kind of put it, they gave him the front row seat of his life, showed him the greed. And he showed him his doom, and in the final, kind of, if you remember, in the final scene of the story, uh, he's seeing his life right after he died. And he's seeing the people around him. And he's seeing how miserable they are because of the way he treated them. And he sees his grave and wasted life. And he sees a tombstone, just a lonely tombstone. And suddenly he falls into the, into the, into the grave. And he wakes up and it's Christmas morning. He thought he was dead, but he's alive. And he'd been through this whole series of visions and, and viewings of what his life was before this moment. And he sees all these people's lives that were ruined, but they're still there. And he's there, he's alive. And his attitude towards money completely changes. Why? Nothing to show for all that he had, right? What else? What, what other reason why his heart changed? I'm a good picture of what Jesus is trying to explain here. Gloria? So, so, 
an experience of grace, yeah. I mean, he was, for all intents and purposes, he, he thought he was dead, right? There was a, an experience of grace where he deserved to die. And I think the, the story really is supposed to point to just the, the, the idea of God's grace, that even though he deserved to die, he didn't, he was allowed to live. But this experience at grace gave him a second chance. It wasn't deserved. He deserved to go to his grave and be remembered as an old miser who didn't help anybody. That's what he deserved. But he got a second chance. He thought he was dead and everything was gone. But he got a second chance. As a result of grace, he looked at his money differently. He looked at his life. He was gleeful. Now, earlier in the, in the show, you see him like scheming and, and rubbing his hands together at what he could do with his money and saving it and hoarding it. And now he was, he was scheming on how he could bless people with it. How he could give it away. How he could shower people with gifts. And how their lives would be changed because of it. And he can't wait now to do it. Before he's this old, wicked, mean, cheap. Bring, keep bringing him. <laughs> he's a crotchety old man where it's his money and his employees are working late and they don't get a bonus. and you know, Forget everybody else. Scrooge everybody else. <laughs> but the new Scrooge has been changed by grace and now his attitude towards his money is now it's not mine the Bible is saying the same thing here it's the point Jesus is trying to get across and what he's saying in Matthew chapter 6 and he's saying because you've experienced God's grace, you, you can have a totally different way of regarding or looking at, at your money, at your finances. It's, it's, it's not enough to say, you know what, I want to make a difference in the world, so I'm going to look at how I spend my money. Because then you've earned it. And, you, and, you, and you're, you're on the hook when you can't achieve it or when you don't do it just right. Yeah. Jesus is saying here, in order to really understand, you have to experience God's grace. And the question we have today is, do we? Do we look at our money and our finances from a place of grace? Where it's God's stuff, it's dad's, it's dad's money. We get to use it. He said we could use it. And do we do we treat it that way? He's given it to us. And we get to we're gonna spend it wisely and use it for, as as sons and daughters of of the king, of a father in heaven who loves us, do we see our money as though we're representing him? We do. I would say, no, we don't. I want to, but I don't. It's Not fully. Yeah, it's a struggle. Because you can do that for a while, and then all of a sudden you fall in that trap where you what, you go back to the old way. Yeah. And then you come back to that one. So it's kind of up and down. So how do we measure that? How do we measure? And what's a good measure to answer the question, am I, am I being a faithful steward of dad's money? Are you helping people? Are you helping people? Yeah, that's a great way to measure. How else? Shane Claiborne wrote that churches should give 51% of their income to the community, and that's to be able to church in the right place. So if we're little mini churches, then you can use 51% of your income to the right community. Wow. That's bold. 
Hey, she said it, I didn't. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> what would that look like if everybody gave 50, 51% of their income to, to others and blessed other people that way? That goes against the American grain. Better watch your mouth, Mrs. It's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. Do we do we look at the money we have? There's a practical way as as people who are part of a local church. Do we give a tithe to the local church? Do we see our first fruits as something to say, Father? Uh, you've given us all that we have, it's all yours. As as an act of worship and an act of uh, recognizing that you provide and it's all yours giving a tithe to my local church how many people do you think do that on a percentage basis in the in the American Christian church what do you think it is 15 that's a little bit low but you're close it's like 20-25% yeah It's not a law or a demand from the church saying, hey, you've got to give us your money. That's not it at all. It's really something for you, for you to say, where's my heart? How do you see the money that God gives you to steward? Do we give it to others generously? Do we see all that we have is not ours, but it's Dad's? Are we storing up? Treasures? Are we serving God? Or are we serving money? I was thinking about this, and normally, whenever I get to preach or teach on something, it's because God wants to do more in my heart than any of yours. And I'm, I'm just confessing as someone who's been generously blessed by God financially. I have to confess that my answers to these questions are not what I want them to be. And the problem that God is showing me that I have is that I'm forgetting my dad's been generous to me. My Father in Heaven has been generous to me. I need to be reminded of that. I need you guys, my, my church family, to remind me that Dad's been generous to me. He's been generous to me in sending his son, who owned and ruled over and still does, but sent him to become flesh, to leave perfection, relationship, this place with the Father, to come and become flesh and take on sin and die. For me, there's nothing more generous. There's no story of generosity. There's no tale of blessing. There's no story out there that's more generous than the story of Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins. I need to be reminded that God so loved that He gave. So, as we think about how we manage our money, as we go into this season, as we start this community together, this family together, the answer is not, hey, you guys, you need to be more generous. That's not what I'm saying today. What I'm begging you to see is that you can't be generous. You don't have it in you. The only way we can be generous, that we can bless others and serve others, is to be served by the generous one who served us. We can't live lives of generosity unless we allow Jesus to serve us. Our generosity can only come from knowing the love and generosity of our Father. That's, that's how it has to come from. That's where it has to come from. That's how it has to happen. So 
Because He loved, we give. Because He gave, we give. It's a response. It's a response of, of a reality that we get, and we understand, and we help each other remember. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together. Let's remember together. We've got some bread and wine, crackers and juice in the back. And uh, we take communion because we remember the bread representing Jesus' body and the wine representing His blood that was poured out for us. And so let's remember His generosity together. Father, thank you that you were just just beyond generous with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and served and blessed and generously gave of yourself even unto death. And I pray that we would get that, that we would see as we live life, that we would see how generous you've been. And that would give us... That would would help us respond to be generous to others, to be generous with each other, to be to to manage the money that you've given us, Father, the finances, in a way that says, "My dad gave me this, and I just want to make him proud and do this out of a grateful heart. I want to represent who my dad is." Father, that you love us, that you love us, and that you provide for us, and you care more about more about us than than we know. And I pray that if people today are hanging on tightly to their money because they don't want to lose it, I pray that you would give them a heart to see how you've generously given to them, and, and you would help them to give give generously back to others. And I pray that people who don't have enough money today, Lord, that they're resistant to be generous and giving to others because they just don't have anything. God, I pray you would help them see that they have everything. That in Christ Jesus, they have everything because their dad in heaven owns everything. We take communion today together, Lord. We remember you, Jesus. We remember your body broken for us. And we remember your blood poured out for us. Amen. Feel free to get up and go back. There's some tables in the back. Get together with other families or or part of your gospel communities and take communion together.